Can we all agree that sometimes some things are just too difficult to understand? Sometimes they're not only difficult to understand, but they're seemingly impossible to understand. I think as we get older, we realize that. There's a certain age, though, to where we believe that we've got it all figured out, right? Parents are dumb. Teachers are dumb. Everyone's dumb, right? And then we start figuring out, oh, my parents weren't so dumb. You know, some things are very difficult to understand. But even in our ignorance, it's incredible that we try to explain something out of pride, even when we don't understand it. You know, we, we want to come across as if we know what we're talking about. There is the false teaching of replacement theology. Have you heard of that? Replacement theology. It's where some teach that God abandoned Israel and has replaced it with the church. That is not true. Because this goes against God's faithfulness, violating his promises. If God can't be trusted to fulfill his word with Israel, then he cannot be trusted to follow through with anything else. If he can go back on his word with Israel, then he can go back on his word with anything. If you knew then that God is trustworthy, that every word would come to pass, how then would you live your lives out? Would it be in full confidence, humility before the Lord, considering his word? You wouldn't doubt, would you? That's why we need to go know God's character. We need to know that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. But we know that there are difficult things to understand. In fact, it's interesting because, you know, the apostles, um, we have James and John who were known as the sons of thunder. Uh, We know Peter to be a a man who had a foot-shaped mouth, right? He put his foot in his mouth. So, and it was John who said that, um, you know, it was he that ran to the grave, the empty tomb, First, he got there first, so he was the quickest, but then Peter came in, and you know Peter, he just barges in. And so there's, there's truth. It's, it's interesting how it is that even Peter wrote about the Apostle Paul. That there are some things that the Apostle Paul teaches, he goes in depth, and, and, and they're hard, they're difficult to understand. Even Peter was admitting this. In Second Peter, in fact, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There are things difficult to understand. So we can admit that we can get over it. I shared Isaiah 55 and how it is that, uh, you know, we, we, we can come to understand, as the prophet did, as he was told by God, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my ways. He was declaring the Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and ways from yours. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Inscrutable. Means impossible to understand or interpret. In our ignorance, it's amazing how, how much we try, to, we try to explain. Make someone else think that we know what we're talking about. Who is able to answer questions that no one else can? Who can give counsel that is perfect? Where do we go? Who do we ask? That's important. And of course, the answer, these are all rhetorical questions because we're sitting here and we want to hear from God, right? We want to hear from His Word. We go to God. We go to the Word. We go to the Bible. In Job chapter 38, I love this. Because of the manner in which the Lord spoke to Job. Sometimes we we need to speak to each other in just the same way. Knowing the motives, why it is that we're, we're speaking in this manner. But the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? How would you like that as the first statement made to you? A question. As you gather together with the Lord and, and you're telling him about all these things and seemingly giving him counsel and how it is that he should go about taking care of certain situations in your life. How it is that you are to handle certain situations. And then he comes and he speaks this to you. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And he says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Some of your translations say, gird up your loins like a man. Man up. Man up. It's, it's time to answer. I got some questions for you. You know, when we get together with the Lord and we start going through his word, yes, we can come and lay all our burdens before him. But the most important thing to do, men, listen, listen. The most important thing to do is gird up your loins like a man and be ready to answer. He has answers for you. Listen to him. Listen to him. Seek to understand the Lord. There's some point 
in, in our time with the Lord to where we need to stop our whining, our crying. He listens. He does listen. But listen, it's not just a whole time of, I'm just going to lay down my burdens and that, and you go on and on and on. There's a point to where it's like, well, I can't help you. You're speaking. Keep, keep telling me. That's fine. Keep telling me. You're not listening. There's a point where we need to just lay everything down and go, okay, speak to me, Lord. Because the Lord will start giving you direction, correcting, and asking you questions. Do you really have understanding? Because he asked him this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He goes on, or, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Should I go on? The Lord did go on and on and on and on. At some point, Job responded in chapter 40, verse 4, because it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job had it right. At some point, we need to realize that he is God and we are not. Second Timothy 3:16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation, God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. When we want the answers to life and godliness, we go to the word. We know truth. As Jesus shared with us up the hill, we know, we, we see, we understand. It's God's word that provides us with everything we need. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I say all of this to help us understand that there is no such thing as replacement theology. God did not abandon Israel and replace it with a church. And this is important to understand because we can then trust the Bible and we can trust God at His Word. We can trust His explanation and His interpretation of His actions, His plans, and His purpose. Notice that I said His interpretation, not our interpretation. You want to know the best interpretation of the Word of God? It's the Word of God. He says what it means and means what he says. And so we need to go to the word of God, not outside. If anything contradicts the word and his interpretation of the word, then it's false. It 
It's with that that we can come and see the relationship that God has in his faithful relationship with Israel. And also the relationship between Israel and the Gentiles and how one affects the other and the other affects the one. Last week we learned about Israel and how God always has a faithful remnant. It's no different today. Israel may have stumbled, as we read, when it comes to acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. But the question is, and there's a distinction that is made here, have they fallen? There's a difference between stumbling and falling. And what has that stumbling worked out or allowed in God's plan of salvation? You're actually all sitting sitting right here as benefactors of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. All of us here. And so we need to know. know. That stumbling has worked out in us. Salvation. His his patience. His his holding off on bringing judgment. Means salvation for you. As we read Peter had written. We'll let God explain as we look at the remainder of this chapter this morning. So we saw the remnant in verses 1 through 10. And now the grafted, that is the Gentiles and everyone else in verses 11 through 24. So I ask once more in verse 11, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Again, as I mentioned, stumbling and falling, this distinction is made. They're not the same. Stumbling is to lose one's balance and almost falling. Um, you know, sometimes we're going across some rocks. And, you know, if you've ever gone across a, a small stream and you get to a rock that's kind of slippery because of the moss, you can, you can stumble. You can, you can almost lose your balance to where you're completely down. That's falling. But stumbling is not the same as falling. You're trying to find your footing. You're staggering. You're lurching. You're perhaps hobbling, but you're not down. To fall is to have no control. To move downward with no control. To drop, to collapse, to be captured, to be defeated. Can a stumble lead to a fall? Oh, we're we're warned time and time again in Scripture. And to be careful that that stumbling doesn't turn into a fall. So the answer is yes, of course we can. But God is saying, although it can lead to a fall, in the case of Israel, we cannot conclude that it has led to their fall. It's a stumbling. They have initially stumbled in their unbelief. They have failed in their faith in Jesus Christ as a whole, as a nation, as an ethnic people. They have, they have failed in that as a whole. But does God have a use for this? Absolutely. There is nothing... Listen, look at your lives. There is nothing that perhaps you're going through right now or haven't gone through in the past or will go in the future that God cannot use for good. Nothing. 
And I can say that with great confidence, not because I've said it, but because God says it to be true. Anything, I'm talking anything, he will use. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. We can look at the life of Joseph. We can look to Romans 8.28. That what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. God works for good. We just need to pay attention. God has a purpose for this. God has used it. They have initially stumbled in their unbelief. Their faith has faltered in Jesus Christ. God does have a use for this. God does have a purpose for it. We need to understand God is not reactive. It's not like their rejection of Jesus Christ came came as a surprise to God. Oh, wow, I didn't know this was going to happen, but hey, you know, we have a plan B. That's not our God. It was all known and part of what he is working out so that all would come to know the gospel. And all have the gift of God's grace offered to them. You know, each one of us, we're going to have to answer for that offering, that gift. Each one individually. As kids, if you're here and you have your parents with you, you're going to have to answer yourself before the Lord. Husbands and wives, you're going to have to answer individually. If you've received that free gift or if you've rejected that free gift. Then there's a subject of jealousy. Verse 11 says, So I ask, uh, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles as to make Israel jealous. Jealous. This is not to say that God is coercing Israel to pay attention to him. And to use the Gentiles insincerely now to bring Israel back to him. And then when that happens, to abandon the Gentiles. You know, we have a jealousy that does that. You know, to where we do that. We do. But that's the wrong type of jealousy. The jealousy that we have for our spouse, it should be there. We should, we should be jealous for their well-being. We want to nurture them and, and build them up. That's a good jealousy. Men, if you have another dude creeping in, uh, you should guard that. You should, you should be jealous for your wife. That's the way it should be. In this sense, the Apostle Paul is explaining as the Holy Spirit is moving him to write this, this is the very breath of God, and God is explaining to us how it is that by our salvation, God is desiring to make Israel jealous. Jealous of what? That we have a relationship with Yahweh. We have a relationship with God. And we have an intimate relationship with God. We are overjoyed. We have great gratitude. We are thankful. We are humble before him. Because God desires that the Jews would be jealous of that relationship. 
Oh, the Gentiles have it. They know salvation. I thought it only belonged to us. No, look back. Look back. They're stumbling in verses 12 through 16. And let's read verse 13 and read through that section. Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the, to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." Stumbling, their rejection, the stumbling of their faith. The rejection of the Messiah has caused the gospel to go out to the world. And it has indeed meant riches for the world and for the Gentiles, offering salvation to all through Christ our Lord. Paul knew God's faithfulness, and he knew that God wasn't done with Israel, only that through Israel salvation was made known to all and offered to all. And Paul said he, he magnified and he expanded his ministry on purpose. He, he did this for the, the purpose of furthering the gospel. And what he desired is that as he saw his fellow Jews, that they would be jealous of what is being offered to the Gentiles. So he magnified it. Remember that the Apostle Paul, every time he came into a city, he would go to the synagogue first. And so he would declare the good news of Jesus Christ to them first. Remember the the heart of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 verse 1. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ's For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And then he closes out this chapter in verse 30 by saying, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So we know the Apostle Paul, we know his heart, but this is a reflection of the very heart of God. They're not in contradiction. This is consistent. God desires the very same thing. And Paul makes an appeal of Israel's standing before God by making reference to the first fruits offered to God, the Jews. And from the Jews, how it is that The law came, the prophets, the very Messiah, from that genealogy, from that lineage. And if this offering is holy, then so is everything else that comes from that offering. 
Another illustration is made from the relationship between branches and roots. The branches come from that which exists in the root. If the root is holy, so are the branches. It's such a simple illustration. Yet it's profound. It gives understanding to that which is true. Broken off, grafted in. Verse 17 says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? <clears throat> it was common in those days, and I remember talking to... Um, my father-in-law, and he, uh, he enjoys the, the challenge of, of grafting. Uh, but this was a common practice. If, if, there was, uh, if there were branches of an olive tree that were, that were not doing well, and, and uh, they weren't flourishing, what they would do is they would, they would cut those branches off and then graft in some wild olive shoots. And uh, that would actually invigorate the tree. It would add life to it, and it would, it would grow and be very fruitful. Uh, again, my father-in-law, he enjoys uh, this challenge of, of, of grafting. And he's been successful in, in some instances and in others. It hasn't been successful, but the Lord is always successful. But listen, the thing that will bring us into and be grafted to the original root is God's grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Again, this is a very basic illustration, something that we can understand and we can even see happening today. But there is a warning as we, the Gentiles, have been grafted in. There is a warning. Don't think that you are superior. Don't act arrogantly toward Israel. There are some, I, and I, I don't understand how it is that this can be. There are some who think they are superior to Israel, who, who look toward Israel, the Jews, and, and look to them in a condescending way. And the Apostle Paul was saying, careful, don't do that. Remember, you're the one that, that was grafted in. You were the one. Remember, they were broken off because of unbelief. And you too can miss that grafting with what? With unbelief. 
There's a stumbling. People stumble and, and they grope in the darkness. They're, they're perhaps searching, but they don't even know what they're searching for. And at some point, if we continue in unbelief, we too will miss that. We'll miss the, the grafting and we'll miss salvation. We'll miss God's grace. We'll miss his mercy. And we will not know what it means to be a child of God. Because just as Jews are not automatically in that place of being a part of God and his family, even less Gentiles are not automatically grafted in because perhaps, and we know this to be true, that Jews were cut off because of their unbelief. One and all come the same way to the Lord by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But let's talk about abiding briefly. Because verses 22 through 24 speak of and address the the importance of abiding. Verse 22 says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even then, they... If they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let me ask you this. What proves that one belongs to God? We can say it all we want. We, we, can, we can confess that we can say that we belong to God, we know God, we're, we're part of his family. But, but what really proves, because the Bible says this is what proves that we belong to God? It's that one word, to abide. As we abide, uh, to continue, to remain, to act in accordance with the very character of God. This uh, John wrote about it extensively. Peter did. The Apostle Paul. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. And withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be full. We need to know. We, we need to know what it is that expresses that, that really demonstrates that we belong to God. It's not just because we say, but it's demonstrated by the way we conduct ourselves. Listen, God is able to graft in, again, those branches of the Jews that were originally part of who was abiding in the vine. Even as you, a Gentile, has been grafted in, and even more so they. Speaks of God's faithfulness. We can trust him. He never forsakes. He never leaves. He's always there. We as Gentiles have benefited from Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ, but we are to be humble, abide in Christ, and to love and pray for Israel. Finally, the grafted, or the the mystery uh, revealed, I'm sorry, the mystery revealed. Verse 25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He says at the very top of this section, he says, You as Christians need to know this. You cannot be ignorant of this. You you need to know this. Yes, indeed, Israel has this partial blindness. As long as they keep their eyes on the law and, and, and continue to think that through the observance of law, righteousness will come, they will be blinded. But they're blinded by their own doing. Just as you are blinded by your own doing. It's unbelief. And all of this is basically a, a breakdown, a summary of what we've learned up to this point. But this blindness, we're learning here that it's not permanent. There will come a day when Israel will understand and know that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah, and they will turn to him in belief and confession. 
Relationship with God is always through faith, always has been. If we go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wait a minute. So the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham? Yeah, it's all based on faith. Before the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision. After Abraham, everyone else who came to be a child of God, it it happened the same way. In fact, Genesis 15.6 says this about Abraham. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He imputed righteousness to him. He, He justified him. He is justified by faith. Not by anything else. Because everything else, the observance of the law, it would be impossible for a man to reach heaven, to reach, reach glory in the fullness of it. There is no way. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But with this, there will be a day in which all Israel will know and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All who are blind will see and know. But at this point, because of their unbelief, there is a blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles is known. When will that be? Only God knows. This is one of those things. Let's leave it to God. I don't know. Well, let's let's try and figure it out. To be honest with you, I don't have many cells left in my brain, so I don't want to spend them doing that. I'd rather just simply tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. I'd rather help my brothers and sisters be built up in the gospel. And those things that are beyond my understanding, I don't don't get overwhelmed with that. I don't concern myself. I don't get wrapped up in that. I have no interest in that. God knows I don't. And I'm okay with that. But at some point, there's going to be a fullness of those Gentiles coming to Christ. And at some point, their blindness will be lifted and they will all see Jesus for who he really is. The Messiah. At that point, the nation of Israel will come to salvation. Oh, what a glorious day. Because right now there is a distinction between ethnic Israel and spiritual Israel. But there will come a day when ethnic Israel or the nation of Israel will know and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The reason we know is that God said he promised. God made a covenant with Israel. And that is what we read here is irrevocable. That's what's irrevocable. It is impossible for that to be reversed or forgotten. God does not forget his promises. He fulfills them. This means that God has not forgotten or forsaken the Jews, even in their unbelief. He will follow through with his promise. It will come to pass, just as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and reminded them of what had been previously written. 
Remember, through the law, God has exposed sin, and therefore all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23. And there's none righteous, no, not one, according to Romans 3.10. As God has shown mercy to the Gentiles through the disobedience of Israel, so God will use that mercy to show the Gentiles through the, has, will show mercy to the Israel through the Gentiles. Therefore, for us, as we come to understand this, we should be humble in the grace that we have come to know in Christ Jesus and know that God is faithful. When you look at his words, you can stand on his word. You can live, you can abide in his word. You can know that it is true. He does not forget or abandon. He desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repent of their sins and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die on the cross for our sins, to pay for them in full, past, present, and future. And as he was buried, three days later, rose from the grave. Believe in the Son of God. Believe in Jesus Christ and no salvation. God's grace and his forgiveness. Coming to a, a close, I want to point out this last few verses. Because what the Apostle Paul did here is he, he broke out in praise. That's what he was doing. Beginning in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We know this. God has used the disobedience of some to show mercy and offer his grace to others. Others' disobedience does not cause him to abandon his promises, but rather reminds us that he remains in the same place, faithful to his word and to his people. God's plan of salvation is beyond what we could have ever come up with. And he is working it out just as he said he would. And just as Paul broke out in this spontaneous praise and worship, so should we as we consider God's grace and his love, his mercy and his patience toward us. I'm oftentimes caught up in that. I think about his grace and his mercy and his patience towards me. And I'm just caught I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm overwhelmed that God would would love us so much to send his son to die on the cross on my behalf. I I fall short every day of responding in a way that is fitting. I want to give him more, and yet I I battle. I, I battle the flesh. I battle thoughts and different things and the influences of the world. But my desire is that I may learn, I may learn by reading his word, by having that devotional time with him and that communion with him, that I may learn how to praise and worship the Lord 
with everything. Where did we go for salvation? It's been explained. Do you know salvation in Christ? Who do we ask to, d- to deliver us? From sin, from death, and from many other issues in life. Because as, as it says in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you once more. Lord, for just another demonstration, Lord, uh, another explanation in your word of, of just how great you are. Lord, you, you have not abandoned anyone. Lord, that is not your nature. You're not forsaken. You've not turned your back. You are faithful. Help us to understand that. There, there's no, no place we can go to where you are not. And I ask, Lord, that if anyone is here and who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today be the day of salvation, that there's simply a confession of sins, a genuine and sincere brokenness, Lord, that there has been an offense toward you. They cry out knowing that if they remain in their sin, that they they are separated from you. But if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. I pray that salvation would come at this very moment. And I pray for anyone who believes in some way, believing the whispers of the enemy, that they had fallen and there's no returning from that. Please help them understand. There's nothing that they can do that they cannot be forgiven of. You desire for us to confess our sins to you. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, uh, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, let us humble ourselves before you. If we have stumbled, Father, I pray that we would be humble enough and respect you, Lord, believing your word and seek you. Restore us. I pray for the church, Lord, that we, oh, we would be a church that stands on your truth. We would not be duped, fooled into thinking some false teaching, some false doctrine, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would like, be like the Bereans who, who, who check, who check Scripture. Make sure that that which is being taught is true and sound. And that we abide in you and, and walk with you in truth. That you may be honored and glorified. And that we would encourage one another in the truth and be built up in love. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you of your reminder of your faithfulness and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.